0: Over the next three Sundays, I'm going to speak about what it means to be loved by God. Uh, A few weeks ago, I spoke on Romans 5, and now I get to speak on Romans 8, which is the Mount Everest of the Bible. And um, hopefully we won't get altitude sickness, but we might get motion sickness because there's quite a lot to get through, so I'm sorry about that. Um, But there's so much richness in each of these verses that we could stop and focus on each one. But over the next three weeks, I'm praying that God broadens our horizons so we get a much bigger picture of what it means to be loved by God. And we begin in this passage by saying that that God's love sets us free. God's love sets us free. Right there in the very first verse, Paul writes, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? None. None. None whatsoever. If you believe in Jesus Christ, there is not a little bit, not maybe, not perhaps, but no condemnation. And if we really got this, then our worries would go. When you think of struggling with guilt, with a sense of unworthiness, of needing to prove ourselves, of of being overly sensitive to criticism. Lacking confidence in relationships, lack of joy in our relationship with God. These things are all really at the heart of it because we feel condemned. But in verse 3 we see that Jesus is the one who fulfills the law and he becomes the sin offering and he dies the death that you and I deserve because over and over in this passage we see that sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And Jesus' death and his resurrection, they they set us free from the law of sin and death to live life and live life to the full. So we don't move in and out of condemnation each time we sin. And we don't have to patch things up again by trying to live a good life. That isn't freedom. Freedom is knowing that you're free. In verse 11 and verse 14, we see that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit who frees us. We're living in a day and age that is very confused about freedom. Freedom often looks like selfishness. But freedom isn't freedom to sin. And Paul has a much higher view of freedom. That we're freed in order to love God, to love others, and also to truly love ourselves. Being free also means that we focus less on a style of worship and routines and more on Jesus and His Holy Spirit. In his book on Romans, the, the Preacher to the Pope, Father Raniero Cantalamessa says that if if we get this the wrong way around, our attention shifts from God to man and from grace to law. But God wants us to be free. In the year 386, there was a man called Aurelius Augustinius, and he was born in Algeria. And he'd had a very wild uh, youth, and then he became a, a successful teacher. But he was filled with this inner turmoil this inner angst. He felt like he wasn't free. And then he was in this garden and he heard um, this little boy saying, take, pick up and read, pick up and read. And, And this man wasn't a Christian, but he felt that this was God speaking to him. And he found a Bible and he opened the Bible to the book of Romans. And he said this, The light of relief of all anxiety flooded into my heart. All shadows of doubt were expelled. We know him as St. Augustine, as perhaps the greatest theologian of the early church and helped shape the church in the wake of the fall of the Roman Empire. And it all began with an experience of being set free by encountering Jesus in Paul's letter to the Romans. God's Love frees us. Secondly, God's love strengthens us. Yes, we, we might be free to live distinctive lives, but there's still a problem. We are God's holy people. And yet, as Paul writes in the previous chapter, in chapter seven, we're hypocrites because we still do things that we don't want to do. And the intention of the law was to give life but this is like trying to run a gas lamp through electricity you have this huge explosion and we can't do it I don't know about you but I'm hopeless at New Year's resolutions what I need is a revolution and in verse 11 we see that it's the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave that lives in you and me Not once, not twice, but 21 times Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in this chapter. If we want to live a holy life, we need the Holy Spirit. There's uh, 50 days between uh, Passover and the day on which Moses received uh, the law written by God on tablets of stone. And then after the death and the resurrection of the one who was slaughtered like a lamb, there's 50 days later, the finger of God, the Holy Spirit himself, writes on the hearts of people at Pentecost. So God's way of life becomes our life. When Paul writes in verse 13, put to death the things of the flesh, this isn't self-flagellating, but Paul is saying here in the same way that Jesus says is being, be ruthless with sin, avoid the grey areas, take no prisoners. But we can't do this in our own strength. We need to say to God, "I need your help to help me to live a better way." In 1738, there was a man by the name of John Wesley who was burnt out, and he'd been doing uh, missions and ministry for a while, but he'd run out of steam, and he'd had nothing left. And he went to a meeting here in London, where someone was speaking on the book of Romans, and he said this, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me. He said, it pleased God to kindle a fire which will never be extinguished. And from that came a huge preaching ministry and involvement in spiritual revival and awakening in this country that was extraordinary. It included involvement in the abolition of slavery and the care for the poorest and the weakest in our society. And it all began with an experience of being strengthened by encountering Jesus in the book book. Of Romans God's love strengthens us and thirdly God's love secures us so often fear can be like our operating system it's like we're enslaved to fear but in verse 15 what is the spirit of fear replaced with the spirit of adoption And in the Greek, Paul uses the word son. Now, Paul here, he isn't being sexist. In fact, he's actually being the very opposite. Just as men should be fine with being known as the bride of Christ, Paul is saying here that women can also know that they are sons of God with the full rights that only men could have in that society. And in that society, if you were adopted, Firstly, your old debts and your legal obligations were all paid for. Secondly, you got a new name and you became instantly an heir of all that your father had. Thirdly, your new father became instantly liable for all your actions. And fourth, the new son also had new obligations to honor and please his father. And we see that in this passage here. Firstly, Jesus has paid your debts. And secondly, we see in verse 17 that you are co-heirs with Christ. I mean, can you imagine if we'd really grasp this? To me, it sort of sounds heretical if it wasn't actually in the Bible. It's an amazing truth. Thirdly, there's, there's no condemnation. Not just your sins past, but your sins present and the sins that you will commit in the future. They are all paid for by Jesus. And fourthly, we are indebted to God. In verse 12, we see that This is not a debt of slavery, but a debt of gratitude. We don't sort of top up our best efforts with grace. But grace becomes our operating system. And we respond in love to God by doing what he says, by obeying his commands. Adoption is even better than justification, Because God didn't make you and me for mere morality, but to be loved, to be free, to be growing in the family likeness of your heavenly father, pointing people to intimacy with God and his glory. Not protecting our own rights, but loving and leading from a place of responsibility I was in Milan recently, and I kept seeing these ads everywhere um, saying, I am what I do. I am what I do. And this is what society tells us. This is what the enemy tries to tell you and me. It's what he tries to condemn us with. But I'm not what I do. I'm who God says I am. And what we find is that if we let him, God will turn this to be the other way around that who we are determines what we do. And yes, we still live with our lives not always matching up, but we need never feel condemned. Your defining characteristic is not your actions, it's not your failures, it's not your job, it's not your sexuality, it's not your health, It's not what's happened to you. It's not what anybody says, thinks, or feels about you. But it's who God says you are. And that is loved by God. In 1515, Martin Luther was a German Christian priest. But he was burdened with all these pressures and anxieties. And he felt unfree. He felt enslaved. He felt burdened. And in the midst of this, he started to read the book of Romans. And he said this, I felt myself to be reborn and to go through open doors and into paradise. The whole of the Bible took on a new meaning. And that was the start of the Reformation in Europe and the transformation of society in Europe. And it all began with an experience of being reborn, by encountering Jesus in the book of Romans. God's love rebirths us, adopts us, and secures us. Being loved by God means having the security of salvation, the Holy Spirit who strengthens us, and being a son who is set free. And this is how God the Father, how God the Son and God the Holy Spirit loves us. And I feel that if we as the 930, if if we as a service here really caught this wind in our sails over the next few weeks, just imagine how far we might go together. Amen.